This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Well, praise the Lord. This morning will be a prelude to next Sunday when we have um, Adoption Sunday. And we're going to be tackling some sensitive topics that are very uh, contemporary right now. They're, they're very much in the news. They're very much in our nation. And uh, I'm calling this series, I don't even know if it's a series, it'll be two Sundays, A Case for Life. A Case for Life. And what I believe is that in an age of confusion, when people are confused, we either choose clear biblical mandates or we become desensitized to the propaganda or because of the propaganda. And there's a lot of propaganda that's being foisted upon you and I. A lot of changing of terminology, a lot of moving of goalposts, a lot of redefining of terms, uh, uh, and a lot of irresponsibility. And so uh, with this in mind, I'd like to make a statement that says, and, I'd, and I've written it out for the purpose of I don't want to be misunderstood. A number of disturbing developments have taken place in our nation over the past few months since the changes in the current regime. It has become necessary for me as your pastor to speak out and make a statement to our church, our church community from our pulpit. I'm addressing the issues of abortion, homosexuality, and of a concerted push to recognize and give legal support to prostitution as a legitimate trade or profession, all of which have begun to grab the headlines since the beginning of this year or since the new regime. Now, these are important issues with serious repercussions on our value systems and on the moral fabric of our nation. It has become necessary for me to talk about it on this platform because it would appear, as recently reported in the local media, that there is a concerted effort or concerted efforts are already underway to accept and embrace these practices by way of amending or changing existing laws or possibly the constitution of our country. The effect of such changes or any changes to our existing laws as enshrined in our Constitution is that they will not only affect you and I, but they will affect generations to come. Now, very briefly, so that I give context to my statement, the media widely reported on a local study that has been published recently that it is said to have found that an estimated 68,000 illegal abortions are carried out in Zimbabwe every year. The study also links the high maternal mortality rate in the country to the thousands of illegal and unsafe backyard abortions, which the study suggests would be reduced by making the abortions legal. I don't quite follow the logic of that. To be honest with you, I, I, I don't understand how 
murdering babies can keep babies from dying. I, I just don't understand the logic behind that, but, I, but, they, but they, they have persuaded themselves that this is the truth. They believe that we can ensure and carry out, uh, or, or uh, no. So two months ago, a deputy headmaster in our nation from a top private school for boys took the unprecedented step of announcing at a school assembly in front of all the students that he was gay. For the first time in its 50-year history, at the Zimbabwe International Trade Fair this year, the so-called commercial sex workers booked a stand where they openly showcased their work and distributed flyers and booklets. They maintained, though, that they were not there to sell sex, but to advocate for health rights for sex workers. You see, there are dozens of more stories of advocacy workshops, rights seminars, studies and reports that have been taking place in Harare and around the country, and indeed the region and throughout Africa. And they're all aimed at winning the hearts and minds of people. And in organizing and mobilizing these very same people and groups to not only promote these practices, but to support their issues. It is reported that more than 25 million US dollars have been poured into the various programs in Zimbabwe by those driving usually Western and liberal agendas. Often these agendas are tied to the aid that comes to our nation. In fact, much of the aid that comes to our country is tied to an LGBTQ acceptance, to a, an abortion acceptance, and to the legalization of sex workers acceptance. These are liberal agendas that liberal governments that do not rec recognize or not really value the values of Zimbabwe are imposing upon us for the aid that we desperately will sell our souls for. We'll sell our souls for a cup of porridge. Sell our birthright for a cup of porridge. From nations that have become godless and agendas that do not acknowledge God. That said, we also have to take a hard look at our own selves and our situation. I've decided to release this statement so that we can clearly share the position of our church on these issues based on what the Bible has to say about them. So first of all, God is pro-life. And so am I. By the way, God is the creator of all life. When Jesus came, he says, I came to give life and life abundantly. He says, but there is one that's full of death. Anytime you see death, and especially wholesale death, we know the source. The thief comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life with abundance. Life to the maximum, life to the full. The Bible teaches 
in the book of Jeremiah that life begins at conception. Jeremiah 1.5, it says, before I formed you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 30 and verse 13, or 20 and verse 13, that there are 12 commandments, excuse me, I just added two. There's 10 commandments, okay? And therefore, if there are commandments that are wrong before God, for a person to kill someone, for a person to commit murder, to take another person's life, we must understand that they're wrong for us as well. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your mother and father. I'm gonna deal with the subject of abortion today a little bit later, but right now I also wanna talk about homosexuality, the LGBTQ platform. God does not condone homosexuality or sexual perversion of any kind or immorality of any sort, including fornication, adultery, lasciviousness, lasciviousness, wantonness, concupiscence, bestiality, or pedophilia. And the list goes on. God is not the God of that kind of confusion, nor is he the God that warrants that. And I think you can see just in the natural how it affects people. Leviticus 18.22, the Bible says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Romans 1.26-27, the Amplified Bible says, for this reason God gave them over and abandoned them to vile affections and degrading passions for their women exchanged their natural function for an unnatural and an abnormal one. And the men also turned from natural relations with women and were set ablaze, burning out, consumed with the lust for one another. Men committing shameful acts with men and suffering in their own bodies and personalities, the inevitable consequences and penalty for their wrongdoing and going astray, which was their fitting retribution. Now, don't shoot the messenger. If you have a problem, talk to God, okay? Prostitution at any level, is sin. Throughout Scripture, God detests harlotry and unfaithfulness. It breaks marriages, it breaks families, it breaks down the social fabric of our nation and of all nations. And it has a host of other ills, the way it affects morality, physiology, psychology, just to name a few. But without the context of who God is, this can become a whip to judge and to beat people who are caught up in the snares of our enemy. We have to understand something. God is love. God loves everyone. God loves sinners. He just despises 
the works of the flesh. He despises sin. God loves every homosexual. He just doesn't love homosexuality. He loves every prostitute. In fact, there are a number of them in the Bible that rose to prominence. Rahab repented and became part of the family lineage of Jesus. Jesus forgave a prostitute and she became a follower of his, well known. Jesus forgave a woman in adultery and said, but go and sin no more. Galatians 5, 19 through 20 says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Everybody say obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I want you to know, this includes corruption and the, exor- and the exploitation of the poor by the rich and powerful. Amen. We don't just leave that out, guys. But see, Jesus came to set us free from all these things. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Wow, is that powerful or what? That's not just something you learn in Sunday school. That's the purpose that Jesus came. As the church of Jesus Christ, it's our mandate to teach and to preach truth. Why? Because only the truth can set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 32. Only the truth can make people free from all kinds of sin and all kinds of bondage. We also have to learn to love everyone like Christ did. Like Christ loved you and I. And like he does love us. None of us are perfect. Would the perfect ones please stand up? I think I told you the story before. You know, when Jesus was confronting the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, the very act of adultery, he wrote in the sand and, and he stood up and he said, let he who is out, without sin throw the first stone. All of a sudden, zing, a stone hits him in the head. He looked at her and he says, mother. <laughs> That's a Catholic joke, okay? Because Catholics <laughs> believe that Mary was sinless. The truth is, Mary was just a sinner like the rest of us, okay? It wasn't because she was sinless. It was because she bore the one who was sinless, Jesus, okay? So the fact of the matter is, uh, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And even Mother Mary <laughs> fell short. And she wasn't throwing stones, by the way. God, 
has exhorted us through the Apostle Paul in Philippians. He says that we are to press on to the goal, to the mark or to the prize, to win the prize that God has called us heavenward for. He says, forget what lies behind. Press on and obtain that which lies ahead, the prize of Jesus Christ. We're all a work in progress. Sometimes we have to demarcate the work in progress. Even now in Zimbabwe, it didn't used to be this way, but now in Zimbabwe, when they're working on the road, they put signs up and tell you. It used to be you just fall into the hole. Now they actually, now they're actually putting signs up and say, you know, roadworks under. You know, so, so what do you do when you see that sign? Slow down. Before you just fall into the hole. Amen. As believers. I believe that we should love life, all life. My heart is broken for the nearly 70,000 lives that have been killed without fulfilling their God-given destiny. My heart equally bleeds, though, for the young girls in our church and the teenagers in our country and they're in our churches ladies and gentlemen that have had unwanted pregnancies and they've not found a place to talk about them they've not been accepted by the church often the church is one of the most damning places to be if you have an unwanted pregnancy Instead of this place that loves life, somehow we have a perverted sense of justice that condemns young girls and they're afraid. Fathers, some of you, you're so embarrassed that you would rather have your daughter murder a baby than face a little bit of shame that you should cover. heart also goes out to married women. There's two reasons that a married woman has an abortion. One is usually the husband tells her, you must have an abortion. We can't afford economic reasons. It's always economics. We can't afford another baby. Or the infidelity that you are caught up in and the man that you're being in, having infidelity with says, we have to cover this up. And I understand that there may be a lot of pressure on our society to be unfaithful. There's a lot of young girls that are looking for any form of security they can find. They're not married, so they look for a married man. But then the consequences are if they do fall pregnant, he abuses them and puts them under pressure to destroy the child. That's murder. But I feel sorry for us. I feel, I'm not condemning. I'm saying we need to fix this. We need to take responsibility. I understand we're under economic pressure. I understand that this is tough times. But we have to learn as a community, as a church, 
There are solutions and there are ways that we can walk this through and we can save life. I want to be like our Savior. And again, when they brought the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they wanted to stone her, what did he say? He says, where are your accusers? He says, they don't accuse you and neither do I. I don't want to be an accuser. I want to be a lover of people, a lover of people's souls. People are in hurting positions. They, they, they need our love. They need us to reach out. We need to protect them. We need to cover them. We need to love them. Amen. Amen. As, the cho- as the church, we should not be shooting our wounded. We should be ready to stand, to support to counsel those who have gone through these issues or who are struggling with what to do or struggling with homosexuality or or now gender issues. The Bible has many pictures. In Luke 15, 11 through 32, we see the story of the prodigal son and I won't preach it this morning because We really don't have time to go through it, but the Bible says that there's an attitude that God had, that while he saw his son, the the, the father saw his son a far way off, a long way off, the father ran to him, embraced him, loved him. That's amazing. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. The older brother was the one who became angry, refused to go into the party. The father came out and pleaded with him. He says, you don't, you don't, you don't love, you you love that older son who squandered his inheritance, who's ruined his life, who's been with prostitutes more than you love me. And the father just simply said, hey, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours that was dead is now alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. Folks, we have to take out a heart that says, hey, not only do we need to believe for the lost outside of the body of Christ, but some of the lost that are right here in our midst. Some of our own sons and daughters got lost along the way. Luke 15 talks about the tax collectors gathered around Jesus and he gave them a parable because they were saying, oh, he welcomes sinners. He hangs out with sinners. And he he gave a parable and he says, suppose one of you has lost, has a hundred sheep and you lost one of them. Doesn't he secure the 99 and go out and look for the one that's lost? And then when he finds it, doesn't he call all of his friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, Jesus said, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Folks, sometimes we become so self-righteous. We forget that there are those amongst us that are really 
wrestling. They've been entrapped. They've been ensnared with issues. I've already dealt with the woman who had been caught in adultery. Psalm 51. I'll let you read it on your own, but this was David after he had committed murder, after he'd committed adultery. I mean, David did it all. This guy was crazy. He's crazy. And yet God said, this is a man whose heart is after me. You know, I know a lot of people whose hearts are really after God. They're really after God. But they do stupid stuff. Just tap your neighbor say, I think he's talking about you this morning. Just say, I think that's you. Amen. But you know, David cried out and he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. He goes on and he talks about, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be washed. Cleanse me and wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. He's begging God from a position of, you know, brokenness. He says, if you will forgive me, if you'll take care of me. He says, if if somehow we can make this amends. He says, once you heal me, I'll teach transgressors your way. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that have transgressed God, that have been violated, that have violated the the law, that violated the commandments. But guess what? When they come through it, they'll, they'll they'll, they'll take care of others. Luke 23, verses 40 through 43 says, tells the story of how Jesus even took thieves, men that were known thieves, one on either side of him as he hung on the cross. And the one cried out and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the other one says, you idiot. He says, why would you think that this guy would do that? He, he, he called, he, he, and, he, and he just goes after Jesus. And the, other, and the guy says, but wait a minute, we're being justly punished. This guy wasn't justly punished. He, he's, he's innocent. Jesus turned and he says, truly I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's never too late to come back. That's the point. You could be hanging on the cross. You can be, you think, you may be on your deathbed or you may know somebody that is, but it's never too late to repent. It's never too late to take responsibility and it's never too late to make things right with God. Amen? So let me just give you a few biblical facts about abortion. I already said in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, that each of us was known individually by Yahweh while we were in the womb. I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God doesn't create accidents. And the birth of a baby has a lot to do with God, not just two people coming together. You are spirit, soul, and body. The spirit part is God. And it's all God. Soul and body, yeah, maybe. But spirit is God. And God knew you even before that egg and that sperm came together. Psalm 106 says, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. Hmm, folks. 
When does this baby become a baby? Matthew 28, 19 says that you and I are to go into the world to make disciples of all men, commanding them to obey God's commandments. What are God's commandments? He says, don't murder. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Do not shed innocent blood. Proverbs 6, verse 17. Love your neighbor. He says, when you love a child, when he says, if you love one of the least of these, you've shown the same kind of love towards me. We're to care for orphans. We're to care for widows. We're to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So abortion, either in action or in acceptance, is a violation of God's commands. It's a sin that needs to be repented of. Just as other sins need to be repented of. You know, we don't have a need of a savior if there's no sin to be saved from. The very concept of needing Christ requires us admitting our failures. But the problem is, so many of us rather cover our sin Like Adam and Eve, we still have fig leaves on instead of going to God and saying, God, I want to stand naked before you. I am a sinner. So he can deal with our sin. And we make more elaborate fig trees or fig leaves all the time. Tap your other neighbor, say, I think now he's really talking about you. Deuteronomy 21, verse 31. God abhors child sacrifice. He says, you must not do the same for the Lord your God, for the Lord your God, because every abhorrent thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. They would even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Another example is from Psalm 106. It says, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Guys, abortion is a pollution. Abortion is a modern day sacrifice. Sacrificing our sons and daughters to the gods of convenience, the gods of sexual promiscuity, selfishness, and materialism. In some cases, it has become big business as the body of fetuses are sold for huge profits. And then it becomes a conflict of interest for those who perform the abortions because they're making so much money. So, of course, you would say, hey, everybody should have an abortion. Just like doctors in this country are doing cesarean sections because they can make more money than letting you go full term. Not everybody needs a cesarean section, but how many, oh, it's just more convenient, it's easier, and guess what, I get paid more. It's because we live in an immoral time. 
By the way, not all doctors do that. But it's becoming more prominent, more, you know, because why? It's become about money, not about the preservation of life. We need good Christian doctors. Second Samuel chapter 11 talks about David who wrote Psalm 51, who, who cried out to God, who, like I said, was a murderer. He, you know, he was, he was everything. He, he was an idiot. Tap your neighbor, say, I think he's talking about me now. That's us, that's us. <laughs> but here's what I want you to know. It was wrong for David and it's wrong for us. It's wrong to kill in order to conceal sex sins. Just as David had Uriah killed in order to conceal sex sin with Bathsheba, some Christians are, offering, are, are killing their offspring to conceal their sex sin. There was a study done, a survey conducted by the Guttmacher Institute. It says 13% of women obtaining abortions identify as evangelical Protestants. 17% as mainline Protestant, 24% as Catholic. That means that over 50% of women aborting align themselves with a Christian faith of some sort. Folks, it's here in the church. I would say that in Pentecostal churches in Zimbabwe, it's rampant. Because we put such a high premium on being holy, on being pure, and we pay such lip service, but our hearts are far from God. And I would rather have us be real than to pretend. That's why I want all of you ladies in our Roots program. I want all of our ladies in the Roots program. If you're not in Roots, hey, listen, there's a way to, there's a way to secure yourself. And that's why I want all the men and be that man and majoring in men. Because men, our women are saying there are no men. Now, ladies, 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 don't, don't, don't get too, don't, because I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you that we have a lot of women that are not women either. Oh, there's no men in the church. Yeah, well, there's no women in the church either. And so maybe it's time that we go back and we study how to be men and how to be women and let God raise up a godly generation of men and women that will take responsibility for what needs to happen. Job 10, verse 17, Job's crying out, says, Wherefore then hast thou brought me forth out of the womb? Oh, that I had given up the ghost and that no eye had ever seen me. I'll tell you what, this passage shows without a shadow of a doubt that Job believed that he had a spirit inside the womb. It proves that the unborn child is alive since the body without the spirit is dead. So the spirit, the spirit for a human being is essential to life. The unborn child has a spirit. 
therefore he has life. What kind of life? Somebody says, I can hear you. What kind of life is it? Human life. It's called human life. It's easy. A person doesn't have to breathe air before their spirit can be given to them. They're born, they're, they're conceived, and the spirit of God comes into them. Judges 13, verses 1 through 7. And I'm not going to get into this because this is another judgment, uh, but it's the story of uh, a man of God named Samson. And I just want to read one verse that says that God says to him, in fact, uh, an angel of, of God appears before uh, uh, Samson's mother. And as she relates it to her husband, she says, an angel appeared to me, and here's what he said. You will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. She knew that there was something going on in her womb and that this person was sanctified. God said, don't you touch alcohol, don't you touch anything, and don't eat any of anything unclean and don't let him because of what I'm doing with him. He's sanctified in your womb. In Luke chapter 1, verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Elizabeth said, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. I'll tell you what, when Jesus came into the world, he came in as an embryo. Luke 1, verse 31 says, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. Luke 1, 41 through 42 says, and when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Let me tell you something. Mary, Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Mary had just become pregnant. And the thing, the being, Jesus, the Christ on the inside of her had life enough for the baby in Elizabeth's womb to Leap with joy and for her to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something about life in the womb. Amen. Amen. Acts 20 verse 28 shows us that Jesus' blood is God's blood. Since the life of the flesh is in the blood, then Jesus is alive when he had God's blood in him. Well, when was this? Well, I'm going to give a few biological facts in a few moments. But it was while he was in the womb of Mary. Jesus was alive in his physical body before he was actually born. He received that blood at conception. Let me just talk a little bit about some biological facts. I know you've all studied biology, but you know, sometimes we don't understand the full meaning of it. We, we, we read it from our heads and not our hearts. We read it as a textbook to get the A in class, but not as the manual for how to have children and to preserve life on earth. As the nuclei of the ovum and the sperm unite during the first hours of fertilization, they bring together 23 chromosomes from the mother and 23 chromosomes from the father. These chromosomes, this, these chromosome sets carry some 15 
2,000 genes from each parent, each parent cell. In these first quiet hours of human conception, the genes, like letters in the divine alphabet, spell out the unique characteristics of the new individual. Things like the color of the eyes, the hair, the skin, facial features, body type, certain qualities of personality and intelligence are all determined in the genetic coding. Whether the baby just begun will be a boy or a girl is determined by an X for boy or a Y for girl chromosome that is carried in the father's sperm cell. Now this quiet yet sacred act of conception has produced not a potential human being, but rather a human being with vast potential. A new human life has begun and will continue until natural or violent death. All of the genetic factors are complete at the completion of conception. All that remains is growth. An unborn child is able to experience pain in the sixth week. It can even be taught conditioned responses. In the sixth week, the fetus now wakes and sleeps, breathes amniotic fluid regularly to exercise and develop the respiratory system. Also drinks, digests, and excretes portion of the fluid. At four months, the baby now begins to seek comfortable positions when it prepares to sleep. Bone marrow is now forming and is beginning supplement, to supplement the red blood cells, which up until now have been made by the liver or the spleen. The heart can now be plainly heard and is pumping up to 25 quarts of blood daily. We see that again. It is commonly known that the baby has its own blood in its own system, completely apart from the mother. Therefore, he has his own life or she has his own, her own life. Not only must government answer, for, answer the biological and factual question of when the life of each human being begins, but it must also address the question of whether to accord any intrinsic worth or equal value to all human life, whether before or after birth. In other words, you can be terminated even after birth if you don't have intrinsic worth or equal value. How long will it be before someone who has a differing opinion like those of us who are Bible believers will have intrinsic worth? That's how genocides happen, folks. Somebody passes a law that says you can't think, you can't speak, you can't believe other than what we tell you to believe. And if you don't, we will kill you. Wait a minute, we need to fight for the intrinsic worth of all life. A biologist, Margaret Gilbert, said this, not until the 19th century did men finally realize that the union of the sperm and the egg created a new human being. This modern belief states that each living creature is created anew at the moment when the sperm of the father fuses with the egg of the mother in a process called fertilization. Now, this is really 
common knowledge amongst scientists and biologists. There's only a few that have sold their souls to the devil and refused to call a fertilized egg a new being. You can see scientist after scientist and biologist after biologist confirm the fact that an unborn baby is alive and a complete human being. Dr. Landrum Shuttles holds a PhD in a medical degree from, Saint, from, from John Hopkins University. He specialized in research in fertility, sterility, and disease of newborn infants. He continues to pioneer research in vitro fertilization. David Rorvik is a former science and medical reporter of, the Time, mag of Time magazine. In their viewpoint, the authors argue that there is one fact that no one can deny. The life of a biological human begins at conception. Even some of the opponents and those who oppose the restrictions on abortion would readily agree. For example, Daniel Callahan, director of the Institute of the Society of Ethics and Life Sciences, has stated, genetically, hormonally, and in all organic respects, save for the source of its nourishment, a fetus is an and, and, and even an embryo is separate from the woman. You know, a lot of women want to say, oh, no, it's my right to choose. It's just a blob of my cells. No. It has 46 of its own chromosomes. It's its own entity, and it is not you. It is in you, but it is not you. No, no, but what we want to do is we want to relegate it to, no, no, I have a right to do whatever I want to do. No, you don't. You have a privilege of carrying a life in you that is not your own. Pro-abortionist, or at least the man or woman who claims neutrality on the abortion issue, will claim that the mother's rights are violated by making her go through an unwanted pregnancy. And this is their focal point, the desires of the mother. Hedonism is so rampant today that the Bible correctly states they are without natural affection, the lovers of pleasures more than the lovers of God. In what age would it be thought by God's people that to kill an unborn child is anything less than murder? We have lived to see the day that even so-called Christian leaders and some godly, albeit ignorant, Christians are saying that abortion, murder, is justifiable and it's no more than an appendectomy. Today, I'd like to debunk that. Abraham Lincoln said this one time. When a man asked him, he said, how many legs would a sheep have if you called his tail a leg? The man replied, or Abraham asked him, the man replied, five. Lincoln said, no, the sheep would still have only four legs because no matter how often you call a tail a leg, it never becomes one. Folks, this is the tactic of the pro-abortionist, to call a baby fetus a blob of cells or any other thing is to deny the truth of what it really is. If 
what we're dealing with was not so diabolical, if it was not so rampant, and if it was not part of a bigger design, I wouldn't want to address this. But there's a bigger design. And our governments are being infiltrated. Our universities have already been infiltrated. Some of your minds have been infiltrated by a design, a plan that was designed and has been set out from the very heart of Satan himself. And it was articulated by an agenda that was put forward by a woman named Alice Bailey. And she put this agenda forward so that they could get rid of God, they could control the world, and they had a 10-point plan. I'd like to see how well they're doing with their 10-point charter. Number one, take God out of the education system. We've even done that in our country now. He's virtually out. We used to have right of entry today. Now we have some kind of, we have to teach all religions as equal, all religions as same, all gods are the same. You have to give, no, no, they're not the same. There's only one God, almighty God. There's only one son, Jesus Christ. And there's only one way to eternal life through the son. Number two, reduce, reduce parental authority over the children. I only found out this week that in our country, the high court has the rule, the rule over your children as to whether you give them a vaccine or not. If you decide that you don't want to give your child a vaccine, that's not parental concern anymore. It's the high court that has that. That's wrong. That's wrong. There's not enough research done on vaccines. Even the doctors are coming out now and telling us that the cholera vaccine is a joke. An oral vaccine. There's no guarantee. And, and some vaccines, I don't know where we stand on that, but there's, there, there's not enough research been done. And we're pumping our children full of these things. But it's not the government's responsibility. It's my responsibility how I raise my children. Number three, destroy the Judeo-Christian family structure or the traditional Christian family structure. This is their agenda. Four, if sex is free, then make, legal abor then, then make abortion legal and make it easy. Hey, that's part of the free sex. Everybody can have sex with everybody and anything, anytime. But we don't want the consequences of it, so make abortion easy. Make it free. Make divorce easy and make it legal. Free people from the concept of marriage for life. You know, I was listening to a and I, I recommend you to go online and listen to somebody. He's, this guy's not even a Christian. I'm not even sure if he, I think he believes in a God of some type. But his name is Jordan Peterson. He's a philosopher. He is tearing the liberals up. He's talking about, you know, abortion and he's talking about marriage. And he says, you know, people are weird. He says, you think you get married to be happy. He says, you think happiness is the goal of marriage. You think happiness is the goal of your life. Happiness is not the goal of your life. It's a byproduct of something. But if you get a few happy moments in your lifetime, you should cherish those. But life wasn't made for you to be happy. Life was made for you to overcome. Let me tell you something. You get married, your wife won't make you happy. She'll kill you. 
God designed wives to kill husbands. The Bible says so. He says, love your wife like Christ loved the church. What did he do? He died for the church. Have children. Guess what? They're not there to make you happy. Your children will make you miserable. They're there to help kill you. You have children and you work through things and, and even when they get older, you're working through the issues of life. It's overcoming. It's solving problems. It's tackling big problems. It's tackling tough issues. It's working through tough issues. Not to chill out, not to be happy, not to be passive. That, 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 that's the worldly agenda, folks. Life is tough. Life is hard. I'm sorry. And it's only in this generation, it's only in our, in our society that, oh, everything has to be happy. We're having the, hold on, we're having the best time in church ever. Look, everybody smile, smile, tell it, hey. <laughs> say it out loud. Say, I want, wait, I want to record this. Say, pastor's just making us feel so good today. Oh, we, I feel the love in this place. I didn't come to make you comfortable. The Bible tells us to comfort the afflicted, but I've also come to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> Number six, make homosexuality an alternative lifestyle. I'm going to tell you, it's an alternative lifestyle, but it's a hell of a lifestyle. No, because it, it destroys the, the, the person involved because God never created you to be that way, ever. God didn't create you that way. Yeah, but I feel feminine today. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not about feeling. It's about responsibility. Debase art. Make it run mad. Use media to promote and change mindsets. Create an interfaith movement. Get governments to make all these law and get the church to endorse these changes. Folks, they're well on their path of getting this done. There's a push right now for one world government, one world church, pass laws. This is how you have to believe. But what do you mean this is how we have to believe? No, you know, and, and, and this is exactly what's happening in Europe right now. The Muslims go in, they pass laws, Sharia law. We want Sharia law. So then they give in, they cave in and say, okay, you could run your part of the city by Sharia law. Pretty soon, no, 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 we want everybody under Sharia law. Guys, you can't dictate that. That's why we must fight for the laws we have and we don't need to broaden them. The law about abortion in Zimbabwe is one of the most fair laws that there is. We're not going to change it. We shouldn't change it. It's enshrined in our constitution. And it gives room for a woman who's been raped or whose life or the life of the baby is at risk. It gives room for her to terminate the life of the baby to save life. 
We don't need to go any further than that. What we need to do, though, is we need to begin to have some solutions to the problem. We can't just sit here and pontificate from our pulpits, and we can't condemn unless we're willing to take up the cause to solve the problem. That means we're going to have to adopt babies. We're going to have to take some of these children and say, listen, we'll give you a loving Christian home. We're going to preserve life. We're going to have to start loving our daughters through, not tell them, get an abortion, just get rid of that thing, whatever that is, get rid of it. No. That's not a solution. The woundedness. I can't tell you how many women come to this altar, how many little girls, how many people come, how many men have to deal with the guilt, the shame, the pain of a, an abortion. Oh, at the moment it seemed like the right thing, but they knew and they know. There's a spirit within you that tells you the truth. Now, there's forgiveness, I want you to know. I'm not here to condemn anybody, and the church should never condemn. But we must call it what it is. There's an agenda against truth and against life. In a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity. To have someone pray with you. To have someone minister to you. To even find a place at the altar and say, God, you know what? Today I put a stake in the ground. I will fight for life. I want to repent of things where I have just turned a blind eye. You know, can I tell you something? The world is throwing so much information now. You can make anything say anything today. If our ushers would begin to serve us the communion elements, while we're, while we're having communion, I just, I'm going to have Pastor Ray come and lead us in communion. But while we're having communion, I want you just to think about life. The God who loves life, who's given you life. And yeah, life's hard. And life's going to be hard on this earth. Life was not meant to be easy. Now, God says, I promise you happiness. But happiness is not to be the thing that we seek after. Happiness is a byproduct of a relationship with him, of building great relationships with each other. You get moments of happiness. You get moments where you hold the hand of your wife and you see the sunset and you just say, that is amazing. This is the best day of my life. The rest of it, I'm going to tell you, is fighting for truth, and fighting to keep our families together, speaking well of each other, holding up life, preserving those little babies God gave you, not letting the enemy come in and not tearing down the family, but building it up. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.